This is the Halftime Oranges podcast, brought to you by Keegs and Dickie. Welcome back to the Halftime Oranges podcast. Uh, today we sit down with a wee bit of a journeyman. Um, he's played footy in, I believe, five different countries. Has 13 caps, international caps for Canada. And uh, his last accomplishment, one of my favourites, I believe he's one of very few men to travel to Turkey and still return bald. Uh, we sit down with the great man, Shane O'Leary. How are you, Shane I'm good, boys. I'm good. It's definitely my proudest accomplishment that last one there. Not many people are strong enough to do that, but I decided to do it. So, um, no, all good. Thanks for having me on, lads. Good to obviously catch up. We're just saying that we're in three different countries all over the world, so it's, it's good what you can do with technology these days. <laughs> it is good. It's very good. Dicky, how are you, mate? All good? Yeah, not too bad, um, lads. Um, <clears throat> obviously, nice to... Meet Big Shano. Can we call you? Do you get called Shano much or? Yeah, Shano. Yeah, Shano. Whatever you want. Anything you want to call me. I've been definitely been called worse. So. Shano and Sano. Um, yeah, no, I'm well, Keeks. How are you, mate? Nah, all is good here in Italy. All is good. Um, <clears throat> Shano, you're currently in lovely Miami, just getting ready for the MLR season coming up with uh, the Miami Sharks, I believe. How, how's life over there? Yeah, it's good, bro. We're into week four of preseason, so I've been working hard and it tends to be something that I don't like doing too often, but uh, you have to do a preseason every so often. Um, but yeah, no, it's going good, man. It's it's nice. Like, obviously, it's roasting every day. Like, it's January and they're saying it's cold and it's 26 degrees outside and I'm absolutely melting. Like, I'm like, this is cold. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> they're like, wait till March. It'll be 30 degrees when you wake up in the morning. Fuck, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. Like, I think you just the sessions you're doing like we've had one or two days where it's been like 15 degrees and i'm like oh i feel fit as fuck and then it's 28 degrees again and it's just like i can barely even do the warm-up without fucking dying um so no it's good man it's uh it's a nice it's a nice way of life um obviously it's pretty much summer every day so that's obviously good um and we're training out of inter miami's uh facilities so we haven't got to see Messi yet or anything like that but it's a it's a cool spot like you know it's it, it's mental it's mental like you think he's big and famous wait you're in the same facility as him and they're like your code of ethics, be on time, wear the right kit, no pictures that mess me. We're like, all right. Um, and there's like, there's security guards in every door to all the facilities. Um, so it's mental, but it's, uh, it's obviously a good uh, little spot to be training out of. Um, and gearing up, we've got our first game this Friday, first preseason game. So that'll be a bit of fun. Lovely, lovely. How have you found going, obviously, because you came straight out of the cookie season, uh, so you theoretically should have been fairly fit. How's it been going straight into like a pre-season that being sort of a bit, little bit tougher? Um, I'm actually, it helped me massively. Like I think in the last two years, I hadn't played a whole lot of rugby before MLR last year. Like I played a couple of times with like a, a junior three club at home, my original club, Scarif. Shout out to Scarif. Um, and uh, like before that, I'd been off for kind of bones of like 18 months. I think between my first game with the Arrows and my last pro game for that, it was like 650 days or something um, with my adductor injury. So I kind of just wanted to keep going. Like I, I was like, oh, I'm kind of hitting stride a bit of form at the end of the year, but it's not great hitting stride at the at the end of the year, is it? So I was like, okay, I'll go 
back to where um, Ashley, my missus, is from, play some club rugby there. And then I was quite keen to keep playing, especially I find with my adductors when I actually stop, it's like then I have to reintroduce them to the load. I have to get used to like all the change of direction stuff again, which takes time. Where when I did that, when I came in with the arrows, like I hadn't been playing rugby. And mm. after week one, my body was like, what the fuck is happening here? You need a, you need a holiday. <laughs> I'm only just back. So um, I think playing with the cookies was good, man. Obviously, we did, we did a good bunch of boys there. I really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, came into preseason feeling fairly fit. Definitely match fit. Like you can see some of the boys that haven't played since last season. Um, we're obviously blowing a bit more um, in the first couple of sessions where I felt good. But I mean, when you crank the heat up to 28, 30 degrees, I'm mm. absolutely dying as well. So. <laughs> so I don't know if I was that fit, but fitter than normal. <clears throat> wow, yeah, the 28 certainly a bit of a shock compared to what the bloody fives, well, zero degrees we were having fucking training down in Limburg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, freezing to bits, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, it's a shock, but it's obviously a nice shock. Glad to be going that way than the other way, the 28 down to zero. Was the um, decision to jump ship to Miami influenced... Um, a, by playing inside um, Keegan at Cookies and B, by the Cookies um, having some uh, struggles this season. Did that influence your decision to jump ship early? Well, if I knew Keegan was off Italy, I'd probably still be in Limerick, wouldn't I? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, the contract with Miami was signed back in uh, July or August, I think, so that was before I got back to Cookie Land as well. Um, and then... I can't remember what the second half of the question was. I just want to take the piss out of Keegan. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, you know both of them, yeah. regardless. Yeah. <laughs> He's an easy target. We can't pick on him too much. <laughs> On that, Shane, did you... Because obviously you're of Toronto who now have gone under, which is uh, very unfortunate. But you'd... So if you're saying you'd sign that back in June, um, so you'd sign that before you knew anything about them potentially going under? Um, yeah, yeah. So I did. So at the end of the season, I was I really enjoyed last year. Like I come from France, where I had a pretty poor experience um, dealing with rugby out there. My injury, I wasn't looked after. Ended up financially in a hole. Coming back, like they didn't support any of that stuff, the rehab and stuff, or the surgery, which they sent me for. So obviously a bit mental. Um, so I really enjoyed my time in the Arrows, even though we weren't that successful on the pitch. Like the boys were working hard. They cared about you they looked after you um kind of in true canadian fashion you know so i really enjoyed that but then the end of the season came and they were kind of humming and hawing of like they were like oh we're not ready to offer a contract to your position group and then like the other 10 was my best mate so like i spoke to him and i was like were you offered he's like yeah, yeah they want to keep me i was like what so i was getting missed messages and then like mm-hmm. all of a sudden i was put into the um the expansion draft miami is a new franchise so i was actually quite upset the fact that they didn't want to keep me i played pretty well towards the back end of the year like I said and kicking my goals I must have been 85 plus percent that goal like for a team that was struggling um it was obviously one of the only ways we were accumulating points really so like I think that kind of had gone well and then they didn't want me and I honestly man I was gutted with that like I really wanted to go back um obviously having that Canadian heritage like you said having played for the national team I wanted to do that again um but then into the expansion draft Miami selected me they were interested to have a chat and then we had a chat and kind of, you know, it's like once you've been rejected somewhere, you don't really know if you want to go back anymore. Like, you know, I probably could have pushed it and kind of not signed for Miami and gone back through the allocation or whatever from the league. But then obviously getting to move down here to Florida and experience that kind of lifestyle, you know, like with the with the heat, which is something, like you said, you don't get at home. You definitely don't get it in Toronto in the winter. Um, 
like we trained in 30 degrees here in Toronto we trained in like minus 31 one day obviously we're training in the dome inside but like we're talking 60 degrees difference in preseason. I was like, <clears throat> so yeah. Um, so yeah, signed kind of that way, lad. So it kind of came around as like a, a bit of a backhanded kind of situation. You know, I was gutted, but then obviously it happened. And then the arrows went under and everyone was like, fucking hell, lad, you've, uh, you've dodged a bullet there. You know, <laughs> I was like, I was actually sticking. Um, but then obviously, like you, like you said, you get signed here and it, it's obviously a pretty cool spot and pretty famous spot around the world to get to go and live and chase an egg around the park. So not my egg, the actual really well. <laughs> Thank God for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was almost almost like a blessing in disguise in a way. Obviously you were gutted, but uh saved you a whole lot of drama sort of late in the like not long before the season sort of started, sort of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And there's some guys like that haven't picked up gigs like you know and like there's some real impressive CVs and stuff, especially some of the international boys, because all the international allocation spots were already taken, you know? So it's like, how are they going to fit them in there? You know? Um, and a lot of them didn't get picked up and some of those boys are internationals, you know? So it's kind of been a bit of a, bit of a whirlwind for those lads. So obviously, like I said, lesson in the skies and like I said, I'm not too unhappy that I'm down here in South Florida. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> we're just, we'll just, we'll just, we're just going to, shoot into a couple of questions that we had we'll just do a few questions throughout the episode Shana. um first one i've got who is your favorite mud men player Oof. coming in hot from charlottetown pei here um <laughs> my favorite one i'm gonna go with sketchy Sketchy's my favorite one probably because he didn't ask this question but he's got a he got an interesting <laughs> name which could lead us to stories but i don't know how many of them are pg <laughs> enough for a podcast so <laughs> we go with sketchy <laughs> Okay, that's cool. Uh, and then the second one, how good was the young monster under twenty Donald Walsh winning team? That was a it was a mental group of players. Like we kind of had a couple of club guys that joined the club uh, in the cookies that year. You obviously had some of the underage boys, and then kind of had this big influx influx of schools players where we had kind of it was a weird team. Like we kind of just all came together. Um, the year before twenties, we hadn't been great. Uh, we'd all been really young and then this year we just got a couple of schools guys in added to the guys that were there and we were like really dominant we won the the southwest conference um which was good and it was kind of like you know just just kind of that brotherhood bond that it just kind of formed like a good few of the schools guys that came in were already really good mates and we'd been kind of mates with them from like underage stuff at monster and stuff um and then we just kind of they came in and it just clicked and we were it's obviously it's easy to have a good brotherhood when you're winning every week you know it's obviously fun but you win it every weekend out in the beers as a group, uh, like real good togetherness, you know. And then we lost the All Ireland quarter final, but up until then, it was uh, it was absolutely mega. So it was. Nah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, <clears throat> so we're just going through your career. You so you've left school. Um, I believe you went went back to your your uh, underage or original club, and then you've gone to Young Munster. Um, how long how long did you play for them for originally? Uh, my original club are the cookies. Ah, uh, sorry, the cookies. I was meaning the cookies, yeah. Um, yeah, so I joined them. I think I was just out of school. I played like an under eighteen or nineteens cup with my club at home and then I went in to them as I joined up with the Monster nineteens. So did that preseason with the nineteens, then went and played with the cookies, did twenties, played with the cookies, and then the following summer I went and played Canada U twenty. And coming back from that, then I headed off to the Grenoble Academy. So it was kind of it was kind of only two years 
But then after Grenoble, I came back when I'd signed for Connacht and played another season with them. And then after Connacht, I'd come back again, but then uh, moved to the championship in, in England. So overall, I had about five stints with the Cookies or four stints with the Cookies, but it's kind of always a place that I've wanted to come back to, you know. Um, I was saying to my dad, joking a few years ago, the two clubs I wanted to play for before I retired were Scarf and New Munsters, and I've done both of them now. So, um, so it's kind of funny how you kind of went back to the boyhood club to get the first run out again um, after being out for a year and a half and then join back up with the Cookies and try and play at the highest standard in the country at club level. So, yeah, so yeah. there you go. Don't know if I answered it or not, but... <laughs> No, nah, that's cool. That's cool. What was uh? So you play for Canada under twenties. You, I believe, you went to the twenty thirteen World Cup with them. Did you guys come second? Yeah. That year? Yeah, yeah. So it was actually the World Trophy. So it was like the second division one. Mm. Um, but it's funny. Before we went, we played against the states. Um, like in a double header one weekend, the following weekend in Minnesota, and they were off to the World Cup, and we pumped them in both games by like thirty points. We were like, oh, fuck, we should be going to the World Cup. You know, it's unfair. We should go. But then they went and lost by about 100 points to Australia and South Africa in the same group. <laughs> I was like, fuck, we weren't there. Um, we ended up going to a place called Temuco in Chile. Um, and we lost to Italy in the final. I think we lost like 31-16 or something. But with about 10 minutes to go, I think we were 17-16 down and got two yellow cards. And it was just the arse fell out of it. Um, but that was a cool trip, obviously, like for a young fella, I'd never... Like I've been on holidays with my family once or twice, but never really been abroad that much. And then all of a sudden you're in South America. I was like, what the hell is going on here? This is class. I even felt tall down in Chile because they were all short, uh, which is the first time for that as well. Um, but no, it was obviously a cool experience, you know, getting to play um, underage international, obviously um, being born in Ireland and growing up there, like I wanted to play Irish 20s, but it didn't materialize. Um, so it was another avenue to, I suppose, look look into. Um, and yeah, it went ahead and it, was, it went well. And obviously enjoyed it and managed to uh, get a, a academy spot in Grenoble then after that so just on just from my um, understanding so your have you your parents one of your parents Canadian or how was your eligibility uh, for Canada how did that come about yeah so mum was born in Canada um, lived there until she was about 18 months old and then moved to Ireland so uh, getting on the technicality alright so where you were born um so yeah, so mum's mum's a, a stronger Irish accent than I would have like. Um, but my grandmother, who lives in Ireland now, she still has her Canadian accent, even though she's lived in Ireland for whatever fifty, yeah. fifty-eight, sixty years. Like so, um, so that's how yeah, I would have qualified, right? But at the start, they were definitely asking a few questions. They were like, "So how are you?" And they were like, "Ah, oh, we're not trying to be rude, but can you send through your mum's birth cert?" <laughs> Those kind of things. Like, so, yeah. um, did you? Yeah, did yeah. you? And how did they? Um, you being in Ireland and Canada being obviously in North America, um, how did you get on the radar to get picked up by the under twenties team? Because I imagine I'm not too sure how it works, but obviously being in Ireland and playing over there, it's a fair way, fair distance away from Canada to all of a sudden, you know, have eligibility that they obviously had to check to get on their radar. So how did you sort of did you send through a few highlights or just get sort of picked up or what? So so the whole Irish thing didn't happen. My dad said tongue in cheek one day. He was like, uh, "Oh, why didn't you go play for Canada?" And I was like, "And honestly, at the time, like rugby in Canada wasn't big. Um, I didn't even know they had an under twenty team." Um, and then he was like, "Hang on, actually, let me Google that." And he looks up their website, finds a, a guy by the name of Mike Shelley from Leeds in Yorkshire in the UK, um, and sent him an email being like, 
I might, uh, I'm Canadian qualified, went to the story with the 20s, any chance of a trial or whatever. And he came back with a few emails and then before you knew it, uh, they booked a flight for me to travel over. So oh, um, it's kind of a funny one. It kind of always goes back to man. If you don't ask for things like not in atmosphere, exactly. you know, so yeah. send the email, see what happens. The worst they're going to say is no. Yeah, that's wicked. Yeah. Um, so after that, Shannon, you've had, so you went to Grenoble, you've had two stints, uh, in France, I believe, both with Pro D2. Um, you sort of just touched on before with the injury and stuff, but, um, overall, like, what sort of your experience over there been like? Like, have you found it? Um, yeah, so my first stint, like, obviously I was, I was 19 or 20 years old and didn't have a clue what was going on, you know, um, I was going over, oh, you get to play rugby, we'll give you 400 euro a month in a, a room. Sweet. Happy days, like, you know, going over on nothing, but I just got to run around the pitch every day, so I was over the moon. Um, so Grobo were actually top 14 um, my first season when I went over, um, and I was picked to play, like, I was something like, I don't know, 78 kilos or 80 kilos or something. I was picked to play in, like, the third game of the top 14, away to Perpignan against Lafimi Maffey, who's a, a monster hero, Larry Murphy, as they call them, or whatever, and someone I would have idolized growing up. Fucking hell, this is mental. Also, he's a tank, and <laughs> I'm a tiny little child. <laughs> um, but there ended up being some uh, ended up being some administrative error from on the academy's part, so I wasn't actually registered to play top fourteen. Um, classic French error, like so that ended up not happening. So I was gutted over that, obviously. Um, and then, so I actually made my pro debut. It was against, I'm sure it was against Viadana. Oh no, sorry, it was against Bayonne away. Um, and then that was Challenge Cup. So that's where I got, I ended up playing five games um, that season with Grenoble. Um, and it was cool, man. Like they did, uh, the 10 was Blair Stewart from New Zealand who played with the Highlander, or sorry, the Hurricanes and that, who was uh, an absolute legend. Um, and he kind of mentored me a bit, like put the arm around me. I didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, like I said, young, first time properly living away from home, like in, in an academy building with 39, uh, 39 other lads. An Irish lad, a Polish lad, and a Tongan lad, and the rest of them were French, like so. You know, sounds like the start of a bad joke. Um, but uh, so yeah, so it was good. Like there's uh, Andrew Farley was there as well, the Aussie who captained um, Connacht and who played with Ireland Day, and then James Hart, one of the scrum halves there, was an Irish lad as well, as well as Mike Prendergast, who's obviously Munster's um, attack coach now. He was coaching their skills coach, and Bernard Jackman was the defense and breakdown coach. So there, there was a good influx of Irish people there so that obviously made that easier for me um but like I said man like I didn't really have my first time living away from home first time at a pro club I didn't know how things were supposed to run you know I was just happy to be there and thought that crazy French coaches were normal um you know which turns out after I've been in a few more clubs they're not um but uh but no so that was good and then my second stint was with Rouen in the Pro D2 um which when I came over, there was uh, an English lad, Richard Hill was the head coach. So I was obviously good. He'd speak English and French. Um, my French is decent enough. It was very good at the end of my second stint. Um, so I was able to do it. The second season was with a French coach. Um, but then obviously, like I said, uh, got injured and got absolutely fucking sewered by them. So there's not too much good to say about the club from the second stint. Um, I think it was, yeah, like I think if you're putting your body on the line for a club, the least they can do is look after you. Um, and that wasn't the case. So that was obviously disappointing. But overall, enjoyed my time in France. It's cool to experience new culture like you're doing now and just see the different way of life. Um, it's pretty laid back in France and Italy um, in terms of getting things done and 
working hard. So, um, so yeah, no, it was, I, I enjoyed it overall. I feel like I, I grew a lot as a person through the two stints. Um, obviously, I'm fairly bilingual now, which is a, a cool skill to have as well. And yeah, you learn a lot about yourself when you're thrown into the deep end like that. And you kind of got to fend for yourself because they're not always the best at helping the foreign players settle, I suppose. Mm. Did you find, obviously, with uh, when you were with Grenoble, <clears throat> obviously you were young, but they were in the top 14. And then uh, with Ruan, did you find much of a like a, a difference in level between the two the two clubs? Um, yeah, I suppose you, you probably would. Like there, there was more like big names, like Ollie Barkley was there who played for England um, a lot of times. And he was a big dog, you know, uh, in Grenoble when I was there. They'd other... Um, guys that would have been big dog, like Peter Kimlin came, we played with Australia, these kind of guys, you know? Um, so there's some real established players when I got there. So obviously like being young, you're kind of, you're, you're in awe of these guys. Like, you know, you're never going to really try and meet them head on and train and stuff like or That's the way I was anyway, you know? Um, and then when I went to Rouen, I was obviously much more established in my career. I wanted to go in and be the starting 10. So I came in probably stopping my foot and things a bit more, uh, where the first time I was probably just happy to be there, which is fair enough. Um, so in terms of the difference, though, like uh, Grenoble were an established club. Like, and I remember being ball boy for one of the games. They show you a hundred euro, whatever ball boy happy days. Um, that makes five hundred euro that month. Absolute bags of cash. Um, but I remember standing on the sideline, and Johnny Wilkinson is absolutely slot and cut kicks from the touchline in a packed out Stade de Zelf. Um, the whole thing is full, and then Grenoble scoring the last uh, play and beat Toulon at home. Like, and they've got an outrageous team like you know like uh, Wilkinson at 10 Gitto at 12 um, Bastro at 13 Drew Mitchell on the wing you're like a ban on the other wing like wow. playing <laughs> like how am I even beside the pitch here um, so I think seeing the calibre of a player like that was obviously class and then the Pro D2 the second time you've got some guys that are at the back end of their career like Stefan Armitage who's obviously played for England the last um, was playing there there was a couple of um, ex-All Blacks that would have played in, in the Division 2 um so you get to play against some some quality players still, but they're probably more at towards the tail end of their career as opposed to leaving from New Zealand, come and sign him for a mid team, a mid table team in the Pro D two. Each other, obviously, going top fourteen um, for a lot more cash and towards higher level of rugby. So there's probably a bit of a discrepancy, but I think I was so young the first time. Like I said, like I I couldn't really put it against each other too, obviously. Yeah. You um you mentioned you had that in- your injury there and um that the French club didn't look after you too well. Um, are you happy if I ask a couple of questions about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, just just from the fact that I've heard, I've heard from other people as well that when you go over to f- a French club, um, I'm not too sure if it was D1 or D2, but um, someone was telling me that it's a different sort of type of rugby over there, and, and the fact that it's quite strict or around your training. And then they found that the coaching was quite like um, the coaches way of the highway. I think they sort of had a French coach at whatever club they were at and they didn't really find that it was too much like player and coach interaction. Obviously you had a few Irish coaches there and, and, and foreign coaches in there as well. But I was just wondering around the fact of how, how, how that dynamic was between sort of players interacting with the coaching and if you could drive it yourself and then, regarding your injury and the fact that how they sort of, or what actually happened regarding how they looked after you or whatnot. Yeah. So I think from the coaching perspective, um, 
I'm not going to say it was their way or the highway, but it was kind of like, they were like, oh, come to us with stuff. If you want to try and implement it, then you go and then they'd shut it down. Do you know? And they'd be like, yeah, we'll look at that later. Or no, no, that's not a good idea. And I'm like, like one of our coaches, like real nice guy, um, but hadn't coached like professional rugby at that level. And then kind of like just wanted things that were so counterintuitive to what I'd learned throughout my whatever eight year career at that stage. Um, so obviously like, not butted heads in terms of a disrespectful way, but like would try and get my point across and it might not always come across or he wouldn't allow it or he'd go, yeah, yeah, okay, move on. Um, and you'd be like, okay, well, actually, this is really important, mate. like really important and we're not getting mm. success the other way. So um, so it was probably a small bit of his way or the highway, um, but not in a kind of in a nasty way either, if you know what I mean, um, from my experience. And then in terms of my injury, lad, um, so like I came back season two, um, did the first six weeks of preseason, so absolutely fantastic, getting fit, um, strong, everything was moving well. And then we had a week off or five days off or whatever, came back and our first day back, we did like a triple session and my body was goosed after it. I woke up in the morning, doctors were really sore um, and kind of was just like, oh, like I'm not feeling good. Like, you know, like I'm feeling real bad today. And they're like, okay, just watch, like maybe do some of the skills or whatever. I was like, okay, grand. And then we did day off and wasn't feeling any better the Thursday. Still wasn't feeling great. First preseason game on the Friday, they were like, oh, well, you're down to start. Like, and I was like, all right, fucking strap it up, go on. Wrap the leg up um, and kind of got through that game. But then after the game, I was absolutely fucked. Like I was like a barely run anymore, that kind of way. So kind of we started looking at, okay, how are we going to look after this? And it was kind of like, oh, like the injury was osteitis pubis and I've torn a doctor tendon where the doctor longest meets the pubic bone. Um, but I was getting pain down both my doctors and up into my abs as well. So like stuff like, I remember I got to the stage where I couldn't sit up on my own. Like I'd have to roll onto my side. My missus roll me onto my side to get out of bed. Like, and like the best part of the week was when we used to go grocery shopping, which I fucking hate doing, but I got to hold the trolley. So it would, it would support me. Like, do you know what I mean? So I didn't have yeah. to hold myself up. Like that's where I got to. And it was kind of like, I was being shipped out to train and then it'd be like, okay, take two weeks off. Okay, come on. Now you can play. You can play. You've had your rest. Um, which as I found out afterwards, like rest is not what you fucking need when you have that injury. Like you need to, you obviously, you're massively imbalanced. So all the tendons and everything are flared up. So they're all real angry. Um, you're probably weak in your glutes, like overactive in your hip flexors and quads and stuff like that. So like, I just wasn't recovering and their message was you need rest. But the best, but the real thing is, is I needed to rehab and I wasn't getting rehabbed. So, like I wasn't being looked after in terms of that. I like the doctor was a great man, like a real nice guy and everything. He probably just hadn't seen an injury like this before. He was a young doctor. The other thing, I was pawned off to a young SNC coach then as well, who again wasn't necessarily a bad SNC coach, but he was just probably out of his depth in terms of this. Um, physios didn't do much for me. Um, and then it was kind of like, okay, let's give you an injection with big anti inflammatory. So in between your pubic bone is two bones that meet, and there's like a, a half centimeter, like a 50 millimeter gap in between them. And the thing was, right, we're going to put a big ass needle in there um, and inject it with. Uh, anti-inflammatory so they did that and then i rehabbed for whatever three or four weeks and i was like jesus the next day i was like oh my god i feel good like i can sit up i'm not in complete agony you know and grand and you get back but the anti-inflammatory lasts for three months i think i rehabbed for like six or seven weeks came back first game back broke my finger fantastic high ball last play of the game my hands now is disgusting as you can see um, if anyone's looking <laughs> watching uh, so that was obviously unfortunate and then it was like come on, you can play, you can play. I was like, you do realize I touched the ball in every phase and my hand is broken. Like this is, I'm in agony every time. So it gave me like a, a straight cast or whatever. My finger was just fixed straight through the most Tom Brady rugby pass ever. And then 
um stinking terrible um but so i then kind of i took a few weeks off with that like three or four weeks and then i was kind of pressured to get back on the pitch so like i said wore the cast through the pass and last play of the game after 60 minutes feeling good goal kicking well everything's feeling good um go to throw an offload and get tackled and i was fending him and he kind of wrapped around me in whatever way i like felt a pop in my doctor and i was like so i'm limping off the pitch get off the pitch the coach like oh what's wrong with you like, oh, like, doctor sore. He's like, oh, again or something. <laughs> I was like, man, are you having a fucking laugh? Like, obviously, get grabbed back. I fucking lost my head. His keeks nose can be hot-headed occasionally. Um, so that was grand then. Ended up, like, couldn't play. Or sat on the bench the following week, played one minute. And even during the warm-up for the game, like, like I couldn't I couldn't jog in the in the end ball line. I was like, I'm fucked here. Like, <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. if, they, if I have to go on for anything more than, like, 10 seconds, I'm going to be in a bad way, do you know? So anyway, came on, played like a minute, um, and that was the last I played for the club, and that was in November time, I think. Um, so obviously didn't play for the rest of the season. Um, but after that, another injection, decided to do this mesotherapy thing, which is like a, a tiny needle, um, maybe like 10 millimeters tall or a centimeter tall or whatever, and they just like jab you. like. So I was getting jabbed above my pubic bone like 50 times with that thing. First, you're fine, and then it starts to swell and goes up. And, like you're bleeding and I was like, this is shit, man. Like what is going on here? Like, you know, I was like, can I please go see a specialist now? Like we've done this. I've had another big injection into my pubic bone, not feeling as good this time. Like the rehab was kind of just a small bit blind. And like, I was just like, we're not fucking getting anywhere. I was like, here, I need to go for an MRI. I need to go for another MRI. I need to go see a specialist. Went to see the specialist. And then he's like, oh yeah, you've been tearing your adductor tendon. He's like, did they not see that the first time? I was like, no, sir. Um, and like every time I was kicking the ball, like I was in a heap on the floor. I was like in bits. Um, so then eventually he's like, oh yeah, you need surgery. Uh, I was like, oh, fantastic. Um, <laughs> wonderful news. Um, so decided to go with that after speaking with the club. Uh, the club didn't want me to come. Came to see a guy in Ireland. They didn't want me to go see him because it was going to be too expensive. Um, he was looking for like a grand a day or something or three grand a week or something. Hectic. Um they're like, no, it's too expensive. Go see our surgeon here. We've one of the best in the world, whatever. To be fair, he has operated on like Neymar, Ibrahimovic, all these boys, Marco Verratti, all these soccer players who are like, they're not skimping out on surgeons or anything. Mm. Club sent me to see this guy. Um, saw him, had my surgery. Uh, I actually got COVID in the first day, which is fantastic. So that was canceled. So it was pushed back. Um, so then had the surgery and then it was like, oh, you pay for it. We'll reimburse you. I was like, oh, all right. Okay. I'd rather you just paid for it. Um, so I came out of my surgery a few hours later, walked downstairs, and they're like, oh, you got to walk up two blocks to, to pay. What the fuck is going on here? So I'm hobbling up like an old lady, walking up thinking, why am I walking? I've just had surgery on my doctor, mm. both of them, and my lower abdomen. I was goosed. Um, get up there, and I was like, oh, here's my card. i got to pay. And they're like, oh, we don't take card. You've got to go to the ATM down the block. Oh, I was like, geez. you fucking having a laugh. I was like, how far? She's like, oh, like four blocks down there. I literally looked at my missus, and I was like, can you please go and do this? Like, I need to fucking sit down. I am in agony. Um, so then eventually paid for that. We got home. No elevator in the building. So I had to walk up five flights of stairs uh, and then lay on the couch for a week. Um, so yeah, so that was grand. Like, obviously they didn't pay for it, whatever. And then I'm waiting to hear about my rehab. I'm supposed to be leaving the next morning. I'm like, here, what's the fucking story? Like, what is the story with rehab? When am I going? Um, blah, 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 blah. So eventually... Uh, went down to the first block of rehab, which was covered by, like, it's funny in France, the medical stuff's all covered by this thing called your carte vitale. So this one was covered by that. Um, and then I think it was like 50 or more to not have a shared room. It's pretty much a hospital room, like, you know, so um, 
they were like, oh, we have no shared rooms. Like, do you want to upgrade? Yeah. Do you want to pay for it? No. Okay. Well, we have no shared rooms. Here you go. I was like, sweet. Um, so at least got that done. Did that for two or three weeks, then came home and I was supposed to be going to the surgeon's facility, um, which is like renowned for this injury in the country. Like he's done, um, his rehab guy has done like Stan Varvinka, the tennis player, um, who's been top 100 for whatever, 10 years, 15 years. Like, so quality again, um, went there and the day before the club were like, oh, we're not paying for that. I was like, what do you mean you're not paying for that? Um, you, you're the fucking one that set me up with this. Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't been my plan. I'm in a foreign country. I don't even know how it works. Um, so then sent me an email saying, oh, we're not paying for it. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I was like, fuck man, I got to go here and then try and argue my case with them. Um, so that was like something like eight or 900 euro a week. So that was obviously massively expensive. And I think I did four weeks there, or five weeks there. Um, so they obviously gave me, or they gave me a deal down to like 900 euro a week. I'm supposed to be like 12 or 1300 euro a week. So I was looking at the bones of six or seven K again. Um, and then, so paid for that and then went back to the original one, the, the free one again, which was nowhere near as good and ended up being in more pain after that second block of two or three weeks than I was after being at the, obviously the expensive joint. So I came home then, um, and I hadn't heard one, I didn't get one message from the club for the entire time I was away. So for the entire seven or eight weeks, I tried ringing the president two or three times, no answer. Tried ringing the coach two or three times, no answer, no messages back. The only person that had a core coordinated with me at all was the doctor who, as I said, was a good lad, um, who really did try and help me out. Um, got back and then the first thing I walk in, the coach goes, Oh, Shana, oh, so sorry I didn't return your calls. It's like, mate, it hasn't been two days, like it's been fucking nine weeks. <laughs> Um, you know, and he was like, Oh, sorry, I've been really busy. Blah blah blah. I was doing a rehab run that afternoon, and he's out chipping golf balls on the, the pitch with the other coaches. I was like, Man, like, I was like, Come on, you don't give a fuck about me at all. Like, you know, um, so then I set up a meeting with the president, um, to ask him about like obviously getting reimbursed for whatever touching 10,000 euro at this stage, um, including all the travel up and down the country, which was whatever a couple hundred euro each way in the mm-hmm. car. Um, and he's like, no, 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 we told you, um, we told you on, look, I have it here, email, March 10th, that we wouldn't pay for your surgery. I was like, mate, I had fucking surgery on the 10th of February. Like, what are you on about? Um, like, and then he was just like, no, no, no. And I was like, here, you're having a fucking laugh. Like, you're, you don't treat players right, whatever. Um, he wasn't budging on it. So, obviously, just kind of, I suppose, there was nothing I could do. Like, spoke to, like, the players' representatives about getting reimbursement. They're like, look, they've given you insurance, even if it's basic insurance, they haven't technically broken the law, so there's nothing we can do. Fantastic. Um, so then went home and then they get my last month's salary for damaged springs in the car door, which was five months old. So yeah, it was left on a pretty sour note, like, so it brings the bill up to about 12K and then, then I had to pay for my own, the rehab again in Ireland. Um, when I went to see your man in Ireland, it was like, it wasn't the guy that was like a K a day, it was like his right-hand man, um, who was absolutely fantastic, standby, the absolute legend, the Aussie bloke who sorted me out but the first day he saw me he's like when did you have surgery i was like oh like five months ago he's like yeah it looks like you had surgery about a week ago mate like you're that week i was like oh fantastic he's like yeah so it's gonna be another 12 16 weeks before you can play i was like holy fucking god it's supposed to be a 12 week return to play like you know and then we're touching nine months and and it was like stuff like okay tie the band around the the rack and just turn your knee out and i was like oh my god i'm going to lose my mind and take into account that i'd already been rehabbing for like like six or seven months before I got before I even played it or before I even had my surgery. So it was like, I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm not even a fucking rugby player anymore. Like, you know, I'm a cripple. 
Um, but anyway, I managed to get back and eventually get over the whole, like then, like I said, getting used to the load and getting used to training again was so hard. Like, you know, it was like, do this, like you're going to be in pain for a bit, like, and then you recover and you'll be back and moving that way. So eventually, like at the end of the season with the arrows, like I've been sore the whole time, had a month off, settled that down a bit, smashing rehab and then wasn't as sore after training with them. And then with the cookies, I was pretty good for the most part. Um, I think I'd only one flare up and it was a week where I upped my goal kicking a lot before we played UCD. Um, but after that, I was fine, like in every minute of the game on the pitch, that kind of way, you know. So, well, I might get a hard time for being on the physio table a bit. On the physio table all the minutes and on the pitch all the minutes now. So, uh, so we'll take it. Um, so, yeah, I was honestly, lad, it was a fucking nightmare. Like, I didn't know if I wanted to play rugby anymore um, come the end of it, like, you know, and it just felt so... Felt so inhumane, like and unjust that I get absolutely fucking shafted like that when mm. all I've done is try and play for the play for the club. Like I played twenty six games at fourteen starts my first season, you know. So it's not like I rocked on and wasn't playing, you know. Like I mm-hmm. played twenty six out of thirty games. So <laughs> and I didn't play the other ones because I got a concussion playing for the club. So sorry, just just have no hips or a brain for the rest of my career from playing in France. But sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was obviously shit. Like, but I suppose you move on. Like I said, had a good season in Toronto. Even though we weren't winning games, I enjoyed it and kind of got the love of the game back. And then really enjoyed my time with the Mud Men and PEI, and again with the Cookies. And I'm enjoying it here so far. So yeah, we're back feeling good about rugby yeah. again. But it was obviously a bit of a <clears throat> thrown into a tumble dryer a small bit. Um, it's the first time I proper didn't enjoy rugby. Like, and as Keegs will know, I fucking love rugby. Like, so mm. I like talking about it. And I bit of a nose so but yeah going back in france i wasn't uh i wasn't a happy camper at all yeah that's what i'm saying hell of an experience um that's the first time i've publicly sewered the club like that as well and gone into detail so <laughs> make sure you send the make sure you send the fucking clips onto them might send me no, no. yeah <laughs> pretty um pretty horrific i reckon that sort of carry on especially from from an administration point of view, when your players are going out, they're putting their bodies on the line, eh? and then you just don't look after them. Um, yeah. I don't think that's uh, that's great. That's what we're sort of experiencing a little bit, not probably not on that um, that level over here in the Netherlands playing footy, but sort of understand the sort of not getting looked after when you're out there playing for the club. Um, it's definitely frustrating. Yeah. So I can sort of yeah, I can only imagine how pissed you were. So, but um, at least you've got the sunshine of Miami now. Um, at your back, so got my sh- got my shares in the sunscreen company. Yeah, I was, was going to say the eggs looking the eggs looking tidy, looking shiny. Brown brown speckled egg, man. I'm sweating my pits off here in the apartment. That's why it's shiny. <laughs> Get powdered down here. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's good though. Um, Tags, you want to move us through to the the next part of the big man's career that we want to talk about? Yeah, I was actually, I was sort of uh, pretty interested in your time at Connick, Shane. You um, won the Guinness Pro 12 in 2015-2016. Um, this was obviously after Grenoble, so just give it, how, how was that coming back to Ireland and playing for Connick? Yeah, man, it was unreal. Like, I remember when I got the, the phone call, Bernard Jackman, who obviously well linked at home, had played with Connick before, had um, kind of given a recommendation that I come back and actually came back to the centre. Um, which is interesting because most of my career has been played at 10. Um, but like, I think that I'd struggle a small bit in France at the start to play 10. And they're like, no shape, just play, just play. I was like, I don't know what any of the fucking words mean. So I can't direct the team around the park, you know? So I ended up playing the center, which was grand. Um, but then obviously signed for Connacht and came back. And honestly, man, the jump from professional rugby in France to professional rugby in Ireland was like fucking night and day. 
um, just in terms of like the meetings, like how many meetings, how fucking into their shape they were and how important like the teamwork was where in France it was like, oh, we play wide. And how do we want to get there? I'll just get wide. It doesn't matter. I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> so like, that's obviously one way you can kind of argue your point all the time where in Connacht, it was hyper detailed. Pat Lamb was the coach who was probably the most detailed coach I've ever played under in terms of if you're on this blade of grass, you do this. If you're on this blade of grass, you do that. Um, so that was interesting. So it was a bit of a reality shock. And honestly, I kind of, I struggled a small bit for when I first got back, like in terms of confidence and stuff, like, and kind of just getting actually to the standard that I need to be at to fucking train, never mind play. And then I got a good run of games in the second half of the year. I think I played, I think I played 10 games or 11 games. Missed my bonus by one game, um, my first season. So I uh, should have started playing better a bit earlier. But um, so that was obviously good back end of the season, came into preseason year two, feeling pretty confident about things. Um, and I played the first couple of games and then I got a concussion, which was out for like two or three months for, I think. Um, and then the back end of the season, um, got back in again and was playing well. Um, one or two injuries in the 10 area kind of helped me. Um, and I ended up starting four games in a row. Um, kind of, I think it was at the age of 22 or something, which was, which is a big deal. I got my first start, um, away to Newcastle in the Challenge Cup. I, <laughs> one of the centers got injured after 10 seconds and I ended up playing the whole game at 13 after training all week at 10 so that was a bit of a shock but then came back and I actually started Challenge Cup quarterfinal away to Grenoble um, which was kind of a cool moment obviously going back there stadium was full where I hadn't played in that stadium because we hadn't played Challenge Cup there at the time but it was quarterfinal now so they were playing there so that was sick um, and then we, I think we lost at the end with a drop goal or something um, but played well crossed with a kick I think it was 100% off the tee like things like that were going well for me Came back, played against, started against Ulster away, uh, which was a cool one up there in um, in Ravenhill or the Kingspan. And then I started against Munster at home, which was a cool one. Um, and we won that game. So obviously coming up Munster age, underage, like two of the boys um, that I would have played underage with were playing against us. Like So that was obviously, um, they're all the big dogs were playing. So that was a cool game. Um, and then a few boys came back from injury and I, draw, I kind of dropped from the starting 10, but I retained my place on the bench the whole way through to the end of the year. So I think it was maybe another five or six games, um, which was which was cool. Like I played against Glasgow at home in the last game of the season and we won that. Um, it keeps crossword kicking that one, the conversion. And then I think we won by about five or six points in the end and we got a home semi-final. Sat on the bench for 80 minutes for that game. We're still happy to be on the bench. Um, nice little semi-final bonus. So it was all right. And then... Um, <laughs> I was picked on the bench again for the final, which I was absolutely stoked about. Like it was from me feeling like I wasn't confident enough to even be in the squad. So then all of a sudden being on the bench for the final, it was fucking cool. Um, over in Murrayfield. And I remember coming into the stadium and like, you see when the Scottish boys walk in and the bagpipes are playing and they're all hanging over the rafters. Like it was literally a sea of green. We're playing against Leinster as well. So it was all Irish people there. Um, and they were all hanging over and they were singing the fields Latin Rise. They were walking in. It was class. Um, and I got four minutes on the wing, Mark and Luke Fitzgerald. <laughs> so it was the jack of all trades back then. Shane, you're on the wing. All right, first time this year. Go on. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, no, it was grand. Uh, it was a bit of crack anyway. Um, so yeah, no, it was class day. A class few days afterwards as well. Um, again, I was just so young at the time, man. Like I was just happy to kind of be there and playing. Like didn't there wasn't too much pressure on me in terms of thinking, oh, it should, things should be done this way or things should be done that way. I just bought in did what was asked of me and um, it's pretty good at following the letter of the law and kind of managed to retain my place, obviously from playing well towards the back end of the year, even when some of the, the more established tens came back. So I think probably my versatility in terms of being able to cover everywhere in the back line probably helped in 
in that point, um, again, which later in my career actually came against me because you end up being a jack of all trades, master of none. But at that time it worked. Um, and yeah, winning that, I didn't really, like I said, didn't really know what was going on. Like, it was just kind of like, oh my God, we've won the Pro 12. This is wild. Um, against the stacked Leinster team as well. And obviously, I played a small part in it, but the boys played class. And like, I think everything, every bounce in the ball was going for us that year. Um, they kick a ball, they'd bounce, we'd catch it and score. Like, you know, like things like that would happen, or we'd kick a chip and it would bounce to us, not to them. Um, and so, yeah, it was cool. It was a, it was a really cool season. Um, kind of been chasing, trying to get back to those kind of highs again, um, ever since, like, you know, um, it's the first kind of taste of major success that I got in terms of, okay, you've won a professional tournament now, even if I only played a small part in the squad, like you're still part of it. You were still there, still tugged out on game day, got your medal, you know, got, terrible terrible pictures of my hair with the trophy um that's probably the biggest takeaway from my entire career get your fucking hair cut if you're playing in a final <laughs> like or go to turkey beforehand and actually get it done um so yeah that it was it was it was cool and then obviously the following season um it wasn't it didn't go as well in terms of the club being successful but um i think the club has been kind of chasing that high ever since now so mm. yeah yeah, yeah, that would have been unreal. So you you were there, so you were there the year after, and then from my understanding, you got you got released from Connacht because you wanted to go and play for Canada. Is that correct? Well, I don't know if it's because I wanted to go play for Canada at the time. Like I wanted to get re-signed, but I I had another concussion that year, so they were starting to get I suppose a bit worried or whatever. And when I came back from that, like I just didn't get a look in the squad, and I'd be involved in every game for the season I played first eight or nine games. Um, I was in the bench for them all, but like doing all right when I came on, you know, with the limited game time, got concussed in training. Uh, we were doing an attack D drill and I was running to catch the ball. Defender was coming to intercept it and collided with me. Um, he's 20 kilos heavier than me and just got the whiplash. And obviously instantly it was like, oh, I feel fucked. And we're going to do tackle bags next. And I was like, why am I crying? What the fuck's going on here? Like, you know, just the weird mm-hmm. symptoms. Um, and then just kind of struggled to get back from it a small bit. Like I haven't had a concussion like it since. Now it's like maybe two or three weeks and I'm good to go again. Um, but back then, for whatever reason, man, it just was the symptoms were hanging on. Came back and um, yeah, they just they just decided they were changing coach and the new coach obviously hadn't seen me play. Um, I'm pretty sure he didn't even know who I was. Um, but Kieran Keane came in then from the Kiwi and that was it. Just... I wasn't kept on, so I was released. And then that was one of the things I went back to train with the cookies. Because um, mm. with that season finished, I went away to make my international debut with Canada right away. Um, so I made my debut against Georgia um, in Calgary. And then got three more caps after that, Romania and the USA twice, and then came back. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to the club now. So I'm obviously going to keep playing rugby. I'm 24 or 5 years old. Um, joined the cookies. And then Ealing needed a 10. So went over and joined them, I think, September. So I didn't even play a game for the Cookies that time. Um, so, But I trained for whatever, six or eight weeks with them. So, yeah, so that was kind of how that all came about. Um, obviously, would have liked to have stayed on. Uh, felt like I was going decently enough in training and stuff um, and had played somewhat significant part over the last few seasons. But then just that's, this was, that's the life. It's pretty cutthroat in professional sport. Like if there's someone else or a young guy who maybe has age on you and they just decide to go that way, so... It is what it is, but uh, I wouldn't change it looking back. Like, I think obviously getting to play for Canada was pretty cool. Then my missus, true playing for Canada, kind of got to live in the UK and France and now Canada and the States. So, fucking more clubs in Tiger Woods, but a lot more experience than some guys that might play their whole career at one club. Do you know what I mean? 
So, <clears> so <throat> it's been cool, man. Um, but like, yeah, so that's kind of how that my time came to an end. I kind of. It's um. I was just going to go to the um. Obviously, you're involved in the World Cup. That would have been a pretty special experience. Pretty awesome. 2019 World Cup with Canada. Um, you guys played against South Africa. I mean, you guys got got pumped, but um, that would have been pretty bloody true as well. <laughs> Most people what, do, so, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Well, so what was it like just being involved in the World Cup and that sort of spectacle? Uh, yeah, man, it was it was probably the wildest rugby environment I've been in. Like, here's first thing, like every country I've been to, like all the languages are the most for the most part are based off Latin. So, like we were discussing earlier, like you know, like about like you learn Italian and stuff and it's so different from what you would have grown up around where for me like French like some of the words are similar to that like we would have had them in school and and that kind of thing so then when we went to Japan I was literally like I am so fucking lost here this is a completely different universe like you know like like when it's like it's all the shapes and like the drawings that's their language you're like I haven't got a clue like you can't even hear kind of hear the sounds of the words and stuff so it's like I don't know what's going on like you literally have Google Translate open you'd be like how do you say this and then you show them the phone, like, that's how you communicated. Um, yeah. What a rugby, what a rugby mad nation, bro. Honestly, oh my God, they loved it. The fans were incredible, like so welcoming. Like when we landed, there was like thousands of fans there singing songs for us, like all wearing Canada jerseys. I was like, I don't know if they've employed these people or what's mm-hmm. going on, but like they were all obviously Japanese people. And you're like, this is mental. Um, every game, stadium, 50,000 people sold out, like, like the All Blacks, um, South Africa, like in, Stadiums are absolutely pumped, pumped full to the rafters. Like, um, then obviously getting to play against those teams was, was fucking cool as well. Like, you know, just seeing the standard at which they operate. It's like, it's almost like, why do I feel like we're all moving in slow motion and they're able to sprint all the time? It's like playing FIFA, but you can't hold the sprint button. Um, <laughs> like, it was, man, they're incredible. The way they can manipulate space, how easily they move and pick weak shoulders and get offloads and just all the stuff you know you should be doing, but. They just do it so consistently at such a fast pace, so physical. Um, it was class. It was it was really cool to to play against them. Just want to touch on your World Cup there. Um, you're in a, your pool was Italy, New Zealand, South Africa, and Namibia. Um, can you just talk me through what it's like in the Canadian Test week going in to play the All Blacks at a World Cup like? Is the mentality from the coaches and everything and everyone obviously in the team like, right, let's just go out there and not get like 99 or 100 put on us? Or like are the boys thinking we got like what like we got goals of just getting over the line, get a, get a five-pointer, celebrate the hell out of that? Or what's the mentality of a Tier 2 nation going to play the All Blacks in the World Cup is sort of what I'd like to say. Oh, go out to beat them, mate. Go out to beat them. Yeah. No, um, I think like realistically, you know, you're going out to play like, one of the best rugby nation ever realistically historically mm-hmm. you know and a team at the time that were absolutely balling like playing incredible stuff um so you go out like you obviously you still analyze them like you would any other team like you look for your opportunities and that kind of thing and like they're not perfect like there was opportunities against them it's just a matter of like can you secure the ball well enough mm-hmm. against these bunch of athletic freaks that are incredible at what they do like you know they'd obviously would have like analyzed us as well but they i presume they focus mostly on themselves because as you said they pumped us um look mate you go out to you go out you i think you get very process driven you know it's like fuck the outcome because realistically we're going to lose um it's like okay how well can we do our things so like how well when we look back are we looking at our set piece how efficient that was 
how how good are our lines? Are we manipulating defenders the way we're training to and we're planning to? Because um, all like realistically, if you run good enough lines, like you'll create space against anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the thing. The problem was <laughs> we just couldn't get the ball. Like you know, like they get the ball and like they'd hold it for however many phases, and like you might you feel okay, comfortable for two or three, and then Sonny Bill Williams runs a line, takes three guys in, and flicks this mental offload, and you're like, all right, they're under the post again. How the fuck did he just do that? Man? Um, do you know, but I think your process still comes back to during the week. You're like, you look for your opportunities like you always would. You look at their strengths. Obviously, I think something like 71% of their tries at the time were off um, kick counter. So we're like, okay, we'll kick contestable against them. Um, and you look at those kind of things. You try and make the game plan the best way you can to crack them. But obviously, like you said, the, the deficit in terms of their players against the players available to Canada is like, yeah. there's obviously a big deficit. Like every, everyone fucking knows that, especially the players playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that ma- that makes sense. It's uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see from that point of view. Um, and mm-hmm. one of your your final pool game, which was potentially going to be your best chance at a victory against Namibia, and they were obviously they were searching for, from what I read, their first World Cup victory, but that was cancelled due to a typhoon. Um, yeah. <laughs> what was were you in the area of the typhoon? Were you boys staying in that area and like? How did that sort of go about the cancellation being? Was it, probably, it was quite late and boys slightly gutted that that was probably the the chance to get a World Cup win? Sort of what was that week like having your game sort of canned? So it was a weird week, man, because like we trained all week as normal and the weather was fucking fine all week as normal up until the day before the game. Like, we'd obviously heard the typhoon was coming in, but it was like, uh, prepare as normal, prepare as normal. Obviously, that was the big one we were aiming for, you know? Mm. Maybe an upset against Italy. Realistically, you're not going to beat the All Blacks or the Springboks. Like, yeah. be re- like we were realistic about that, but we were, like, hoping to maybe catch Italy on the bounce if they don't play well and we played well. That didn't happen. They were obviously impressive against us um, and put us to the sword. And then the Namibia game was the big one. Um, we're obviously going after from the start, obviously. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, we prepared as normal all week, trained as normal all week, captains run, went kicking in the stadium, like did all that mm. stuff. And then there was like, oh, the game might be called off. And they're like, World Cup game, mate. It's not being mm. called off. Are you joking me? Way too much money to cancel these games. Do you know, like they've built this stadium, do you know, like there's no way the game has been called off. Um, and the strange thing was like two or three days before in the area we were, was one of the spots where the, I think it was the. It was 2011 or the 2008 tsunami hit um, in Japan. I can't remember the name of the town right now off the top of my head. But, like, we were at the memorial site for that. We've seen the videos of the place beforehand. You can see the tsunami wall out in the water to break the waves in case they come back again. Like, And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is wild. We're here where this happened that long ago. And, like, the place is completely decimated. Like, you know, and all the houses are, like, new, only, like, 10, 12 years old. And then this typhoon is hitting and we're staying on the water in this hotel. It was, it was wild, man. And then like, I swear to God, like we, the curtains were blowing in the wind, even though the windows were closed. I was like lying. I was like, man, I better sleep on my back of the window here. These windows are going to break. Like I'm going to get charged glass into my back. Like, you know, may as well save the, the moneymaker, the pretty face. Um, so yeah, it was, it was wild. And then I think we found out it's something like quarter past five in the morning. Um, so it's like you found out on game day, you're like, oh, fucking hell. And I think we were okay to get there. But I think from the, the mudslides and stuff like that, the roads were mm-hmm. um, inaccessible um, from the Namibians um, part. 
or something like that. Like we were both staying like half an hour, forty minutes away. It's not like you stay here and the whole and the the pitch is there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was a weird one. It was a pretty anticlimactical. Um, some of the boys went out and helped clean up um, some of the area in terms of the houses and stuff because you go into people's houses and there's water as high as your knee, like you know, just from the rain alone, like not even no tsunami or nothing like that. Um, so did that, and then you do what you always do when games are called off, and you drink a load of cans in the hotel. Um, so it's thing, something to do. Like so, we were there for two or three more days. So boys got around each other, had a bit of fun. Um, in terms of the build up to World Cup, it's so fucking intense. Like we'd been living together since June, you know, like every day, day in, day out, like you've been away from your family, all that stuff, maybe bar a few days off here and there, um, you know, the hotels, kind of camps, that kind of thing, you know, since June till pretty much the end of, or the start of November, like, so it was, or maybe mid-October even, but it was like, it was a long time together. So like the first thing you do is you obviously blow off a bit of steam, kind of congratulate each other for the effort you put in. And then, I don't know, like that's, it was, it was, it was so weird. I couldn't believe it was called off. Because um, mm-hmm. it was only windy where we are, but then you look down in Tokyo and like the subways are like full of water, like completely. Mm-hmm. Like you can't even get into the subway. There's so much water on there. I was like, Jesus Christ! I was like, Are we even going to be able to go to Tokyo to fly home? Um, that kind of thing. So yeah, it was mental. Um, crazy times. Not a crazy swing in my in my career. Like, yeah, it's an interesting week to be a part of, nonetheless. So did you guys have to? You guys had to fly home straight away. You couldn't stay around and uh, watch the finals. No, so it's pretty much like that for everyone. Um, as soon as you lose, you're out because you're obviously costing more rugby money. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, especially in the knockout games, I know, like, they lads don't know if they're leaving or not. You know, so you're kind of mm. you're half packed. If you leave, you're, if you lose, you're flying out the next day. So, um, thankfully, our flight wasn't until the following evening, I think, um, or maybe even two days after. But we still travelled to Tokyo and stayed in the hotel and flew out the next day or something along the lines of that. Um, but we obviously pick up the pieces in the next day, and then. Yeah, pack up and head out and make the trip home which wasn't a short one um, severely hung over which wasn't great but we got home eventually <laughs> so yeah no so that's it as soon as you're done you're out the gap man off yeah. the wage bill <laughs> it's uh, it's actually funny I was talking to one of the Italian boys the other day and I was like oh, have you guys ever bit the All Blacks and he was like nah but we've, drew, we've drawn against them though and I was like bullshit when was that and he was like, uh, 2019 World Cup, was, the game was cancelled. And I was like, fuck off, bro. That doesn't fucking count. Bro. That's, that's <laughs> cheap. You can't be claiming that, you fucking bastard. <laughs> we drove so proud of it, too. Yeah, literally, he was like, it was nil all. And I was like, fuck, that doesn't count. Jeez. <laughs> um, oh, actually, we'll, we've, got a, we've got a few more questions here uh, for you, Shana. Um, what does BTBTP stand for? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> is there any real questions? <laughs> it's the thing we started saying back in the day. It was fucking hell. It stands for, but that's besides the point. But we started, uh, it was me and Cullum Skeen and uh, Rob Cassidy. Another fellow started saying it and just started writing the letters all the time, putting on our stories of each other. And no one had a fucking clue what it meant. Um, and we kept it going for months. And then eventually <laughs> one of us let it slip or something. But no one knew what it meant for such a long time. Um, we are getting a bit of heat for it. But it was just literally something that started one day when we were pissed. But that's besides the point. <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> so most good stories started, didn't it? Um, <laughs> fucking hell. Classic, classic boys inside joke. <laughs> 
Um, I've got another one here. When did you realize John Floyd was such a reptile? Fucking first day I met him. Um, me and John have been friends since we're whatever, fucking six years old or whatever. So I can, I can probably guess whose question it was, but um, yeah, <laughs> we've been young. <laughs> reptiles since he was born. And then the last one, how do you get your legs so fat? From a skinny dude. Fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> get under the bar, mate. Stop doing up everybody. Do some fucking squats. Um, I don't know. You just gotta keep progressing your training. Lift heavier than you did the last day and keep going. Um, okay, some good, good quality questions from my good quality friends coming in here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's what you love. Fucking potholes, Keegan, huh? <laughs> <laughs> potholes indeed. Potholes indeed. <laughs> Um, well that's sort of obviously you're yeah now you're you're in miami now you set up there um season's underway you got your first preseason. did you say it's this week yeah this friday yeah against life university so they're coming down from atlanta georgia down to miami to play the game so yeah should be a good run out for the boys yeah and then um when's the when's the season kickoff for you boys for that so we kick off uh, March 3rd. We were playing at home against Chicago, who recruited ridiculously well. So should be a good game. Nice to have your first game um, at home, I suppose, in front of mm. the fans or whatever. If we have any, we'll find out at the first game, I suppose. And, um, we're supposed to be the season opener on the second, um, playing against Chicago at home, but then into Miami have a game. So we get pushed to the Sunday. So we don't get the season <laughs> opener anymore, but we get our season opener. So... <laughs> Yeah, respectfully, we don't like you as much as Messi. You don't bring us in millions, so you play Sunday. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'll go. So, do you guys play at the same stadium and all? Uh, yes, but we're not on their pitch because we would make clean shite of that. Um, we're on a turf pitch um, just uh, across the car park from it. So, it'll be grand. They'll have some pop up stands and stuff. It's not going to be a 20,000 capacity, but hopefully, we get a couple of thousand fans in and. Um, and get to do that. We did a like a, a promo thing for the new chip that they're using in the ball, which can show how fast the ball moves, how far you kick it, um, all those kind of things, which is pretty cool. Um, the other week on the main pitch, but man, it's like a snoo- It's literally like a snooker table. It's outrageous. Every time you step in it, you can see where your studs were. Like it was so flat, it was absolutely unbelievable. So maybe they said maybe if we make the playoffs, we might get a an old quarterfinal or something in there, which wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, that'd be nice. Very nice. Um, I know we touched wanna, on it earlier. Oh, touched on it earlier, but I'm just intrigued about this into Miami and uh, Lionel Messi thing. Um, so they've got security room, but do you actually is there a chance you'll like spot them in the facility at all, or any of the other into Miami players? Like, do you guys intermingle like that, or is so we see the academy boys? Like, there's Shane O'Leary. Oh, Messi's yeah. going to be in awe. Who knows? <laughs> Shane, can I have a selfie? No, I'm actually not allowed to take a picture with you, sorry. Um, so we, we brush shoulders with the academy boys all the time. Like the senior team, like they have their gym at one end and we're actually using the academy gym. Um, but we've been in the away changing room so far. But I think they were away in Saudi Arabia playing the preseason games and stuff. Um, mm. So they'll be back in the facilities, I think, this week or next week. So, look, I'm sure we'll get the, we'll pass them at some stage or the club will organize for them to come in and say hola to us. Uh, but... <laughs> I think that's like, I don't know how much access they're going to give us to him. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. they've got, like he's worth so much money to lad. So like they've security in every door. I didn't think it was good. I've never seen a rugby ground like it. 
Normally they don't give a fuck about rugby players, yeah. but I don't think yeah. they. I still don't think they do. Like they're like, have you got your accreditation to get into the building? No. Okay, what's your name? Um, but sure, they've got loads of big dogs now. You know, they got Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez, Sergio Busquets. Like they've got yeah. half the old right. Barcelona team when they were the dream team. So um, obviously David Beckham is the the big dog, so mm. the top man. Um, so yeah, I like. There's fans outside the stadium all the time, just hoping to get a glimpse of it. Like I've never seen anything like it in, from a rugby world. So it's um, it's interesting to see the operation and how they operate. But yeah, the facilities are class. Like our turf pitch is definitely the worst pitch there. But for the soccer players, <laughs> all their pitches are class. Um, so, so yeah, it's gas. But no, it'd be cool. Hopefully, we get to meet um, some of those lads. Obviously, it's it's one of the one of the perks of getting to to be in the same ground as them. You know. Um, mm. Having trained in some porridge patchy rugby pitches throughout my career, it's nice to be in a nice shiny facility. It's only a couple of years old, so yeah, it's I bet. You just sort of have to, I reckon, try to work out their schedule, Shana, and then just accidentally rock up and say you've got physio or something. Just coincidentally, stay in the changing room overnight so I can see them in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Sneak in there, uh, oh, fucking hell. <clears throat> Ah, very good. Um, if, that, if that's all you've got, Dickie, we've, we've just got a few questions just to round out the podcast. But um, um, just got one more about Miami itself. Just Santa, obviously from Ireland. Um, will you be spending much time at the beach, and how much of your salary will be going towards the sunblock if that is the case? Um, yeah, a bit of time at the beach, always. <laughs> Always in the shade, though. Don't you worry. Um, saves me a fortune. Um, no, the good thing is I don't have to wash my hair with shampoo, so I can put that money straight in towards the sunblock. Um, so kind of you break fairly even anyway. Um, I know down to the beach recovery days, Sundays, days off. Uh, you can be doing worse things than that. So get into the water a bit, back into the shade, stay safe. Mm, maybe wear a hat. Be all good. Stay out of <laughs> trouble. Um, and you're looking forward to the... Um... The Miami nightclub scenes are notorious. Um, have there been any pre-season sort of let a little bit of steam off before the season kicks off? Or have you had a bit of a look around the city? You go for an old look, all right? A few of the boys have um, wandered into Miami. Um, we're actually based in Fort Lauderdale. It's like 25 minutes above Miami. So there's been a yeah. few more tipping in and around there a small bit. Um, but we've actually been training... Um, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we have like we've only had one full weekend off, which was last weekend um, since we started. So boys are so fucked. Um, mm. Like if you if you go to beer after one of those hard sessions, you're not necessarily recover by the time Monday comes around again. <laughs> yeah, you're already yeah. starting the week in a hole, and it's already going to be deep. Um, but I'm sure there'll be a bit of exploring goes down in the next few weeks. All right. Um, yeah, just start playing a few games and go off for the same. Um, nice two days off, spent dying on the couch <laughs> and then back into it again. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good. If, you, if you're going to blow off steam, stay, stay away from Stinger. Make sure you stay away from Stinger. He's horrific. <laughs> I asked him the question. He asked me so anyway, so it was good. <laughs> nah, very good. Um, well, I'll just round off the potty with a few questions, Shano. Um, Diggy, should we go one for one? Yeah, we can do, yeah. May as well. Uh, first one, Shane, shower or grower? <laughs> oh, shower. Small bit of growth, but mostly, mostly there for sure. Shower. First shower we've ever had. He's proud of it as well. That's good stuff. <laughs> All right, yeah. 
Good. Good to hear. Um, <laughs> couple of conspiracy ones here. I've got um, for you, obviously, an intelligent man, um, sort of resembling the moon a little bit with your noggin. But do you believe the uh, moon landing was uh, as factual or uh, non-factual? Fucking up. Um, it's like the back of the taxi on the way home, and the, <laughs> the American taxi drivers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we probably landed on the moon, right? Um, not something to put too much thought into, but uh, I'd say it probably happened. <laughs> okay, okay, that's cool. Um, fish tacos, yes or no? Absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. With pride, I like it. I like it. It's just I like it. straight up and down character. Um, another conspiracy one, um, fitting for America, as I believe there's a few over there. But um, flat or flat Earth or um, round Earther yourself. I had an interesting chat with a few people about this one. Um, <laughs> I don't think the Earth is flat, but someone gave me a good argument: is the only thing the Earth is actually a sphere because you've been told that. Or do you actually know it? It's an interesting point of view. It's an interesting point of view. But I'm not, I'm not for one second a flat earther. So I do think it's a sphere. Uh, just to put it out there. You might be regretting calling me intelligent now, but I thought it was a good, it was a good point. It's not a bad point, actually. It's not a bad no, point at all. Point. You just believe you what you're like told. You believe it, it too, told. actually, though, Shane. It was, he had great buy-in when he was telling me it. And honestly, for a minute... Uh, but he go by and I believe him uh, I just had to put the question in there because I heard it asked um, one of the NRL boys was asked the question and he said he thinks it's it's round but how come it's flat when we walk on it that was his sort of he, he couldn't quite understand that when you sort of zoom all the way in that it would end up being flat but it was just I just it was just quite funny Technically, a circle is just a load of flat lines. They're just so small that you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <yeah. laughs> that is absurd. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Nah, we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, worst player you've ever played with? The worst player I've ever played with? <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. But there's only one direction this is coming. Um, he used to be my favorite player, right? He used to be my favorite player, but then Ada, Ada Shorthall became my favorite player very quickly, and Keegan Boop slots from my favorite player to the worst player. No, uh, that's that's a... um, you're a great player, Keegs. I don't have a worse player. Don't have a worse player. Diplomatic Fair answer. enough. I uh, I knew I would take the take the brunt of that anyways. It was, it was a good political answer there, Shane. You made the question. You probably asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got one here. Um, well, is there another trip uh, to Turkey on the cards? If maybe if I get a sponsorship deal off one of the clinics, but uh, maybe me and Messi will get two for one. <laughs> I don't reckon you need it, Shane. I reckon I reckon you own that bald knob. Might get the boobs done though, or something. Don't have much of a chest, like. Could go for something else, you know. True, true. Mm. Float the idea out there. If anyone's listening that wants to sponsor something, let's let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> <Let's get involved. laughs> 
very good. Uh, and then last one. Why is Montiel not playing? That is from Tommy Caceres, anyway, with the tattoo of him on his calf. Um, it's a joke, man. He should be playing. World Cup winner. We got to have him in for Forrest, just to bring some context so you boys know what's going on. Um, <laughs> he's the Argentinian that who kicked the World Cup winning penalty, playing with Forrest, and he's not getting picked. Sort it out. Get the World yeah. Cup winners on. That explains why Thomas is so uh, upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got a tattoo of him on his calf, and he's trying to get uh, recognition in the Argentinian press so that he can get to meet him. It's so funny. <laughs> he's like, oh, I think he's injured at the moment, so maybe maybe he doesn't read the news too much, but I hope it happens. Hopefully I get to chat with him. <laughs> like, fucking fair play, lad. <laughs> oh, good on him. Fuck it out. Uh, now that, that that basically rounds us off, Shane. Um, thank you very much for joining in on us and sitting down having a good yarn. Really appreciate it. Cheers for having me, lads. Good chat as always. Yeah, no, nice Let's to meet you, Shane. I wish you all the best, all the best for the uh, MLR season ahead, and um, hopefully you can meet Messi, do play well, and get a couple of treats, and then enjoy the uh, the nightclubs in Miami at the end of the season when uh, when you've got the chat or the Shield, isn't it? It's a Shield there, eh? The Shield, yeah. Yeah, no, Can't drink out of a Shield. Yeah. Uh, cheers, boys. <laughs> Too good. Cheers, Shane. Look after yourself. Cheers, boys. See ya.